And we will get on with our number five in this series of six, looking at how we are growing our faith. We're looking at the faith that gets you through um, those tough times, the faith that gets you through the stepping out of the boat, the faith that you just have and just know and can rely on that no matter what, life is going to be okay. The, the faith that what life throws at you, is you're going to get through. That there's going to be nothing so bad that you can't get through it with God. So that's what we're looking at here today. It's about trusting God. Now the Old Testament is full of stories of, and it starts with when humans decided to not trust God. The story of Adam and Eve, when they didn't want to trust God, they wanted to also trust in themselves and wholly in themselves, and that they didn't need God. And the truth of the matter is that each of us have had that decision. Each of us have been in that place where we go, do you know what? I'm all right on my own. I can do this. I don't need God. Now, we might make that choice every day. You might think, no, I'm a Christian. I don't make those choices. But at all those times when we worry, when we have anxiety, when we're not quite sure how it's going to work out, are the times when we choose not to trust God. So at some point on our regular journey of life, we all face this time. But the great news about the New Testament is that it's always, it is also full of stories who have reconnected with God about how that trust with God can be done in a new way, in a new promise and a new covenant, which we're going to celebrate before we finish today over the table where we look at what Jesus did with his last supper and his friends. But the story about faith is also linked to trust. How much do we trust God? Where is our faith? Is it in the world or is it in ourselves? You see, trust is not our faith, rather, is not broken by doing a bunch of bad stuff. Your relationship with God, that relationship of trust, of faith, of intimacy with God, is not done by every bad decision you might make. It's not done by when we do things we know we're not supposed to do. That's not what breaks the trust with God. And so the flip side of that is also true. You don't become... Uh, a more committed Christian by doing lots of good stuff. And in the past, maybe that's what people have felt. Well, I've come to church every week, and I'm doing lots of good things. I'm serving. That's also not how it works. It's not about the good stuff that you do either. That comes a bit later on. Faith and trust in God is totally based on a decision that we make. A decision to trust God. That's where faith comes from. That's where intimacy comes from. It's about a decision. It's not how good we are or how bad we are. Our faith comes from the decisions that we make. And we're going to look, explore that a bit more today. So when we make that decision to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus, to believe in God, to want to follow and be a part of his kingdom, it's based on that decision and that decision alone. And when we put that decision 
into practice, when we put that decision into play, into every aspect of our lives, that's when faith grows. That's when trust grows. And trust me, I'm not being critical when I say sometimes we have those wobble moments, those times when we just think, actually, I'm going to do it the way I know how to deal with this, and we don't trust in God. We all do it. And I think if you're one of those people who thinks, well, no, that's not me, I've always done exactly the right things, then I would struggle with that myself um, as well. So our faith is a rela- our relationship with God, and it's our faith that grows when we get that intimacy from trusting him and knowing that he always comes through for us. What we've heard from Mark and Michelle and Maria and Ria is that they trusted God. At some point, they had to step out from their comfort zone and trust him. And that's when intimacy grows. That's when faith grows. That's when we can see God do amazing things, immeasurably more than we can see with our own eyes. And as you know, this series is looking at these five elements where thousands of people have been interviewed and had a look at the things that has affected their faith. What has made your faith grow? What has made you be able to trust God more? And we've looked at practical teaching, we've looked at providential relationships, we've looked at uh, personal disciplines, and today is all about your personal ministry, the things that you do, how you respond when you make that decision to trust God. And next week, we're going to be looking at pivotal circumstances. Basically, when life stuff hits you, what do you do? That's next week. But you can see I've highlighted these two, these personal disciplines and the personal ministries, These are things that you can proactively do to help grow your faith. These are the things that you, if you like, have responsibility for. Other things, you know, big stuff happening in your life, you may not necessarily have the responsibility for, but how you respond to them are. You can't invent big things happening in your life. Stuff comes at you. These are the two things that you can be proactive and do for yourself if you want your faith to grow. And as we've heard from the stories this morning, whenever you speak to people about their faith and how they grow, these are the type of things that will be included in their story. I felt I wasn't good enough. I felt that I, I felt God had called me, but I just didn't know what to do. I was way out of my comfort zone. I hadn't been trained, I didn't feel qualified, I didn't have the experience. You know, God always calls the least expected people. When you read the Bible and understand it and you look at the big names, all of them didn't really match up to what we think the perfect person would be. We're going to focus a bit on Peter um, today as we go through. And you see people who, I saw a need A leper who only had one thumb needed his shoes doing up. I saw a need, so I stepped out and did it. There was a call for people to become a deacon and a leader in a church, so I stepped out and did it. When God um, called me into ministry, um, I have to tell you, um, I did give God quite a bit of a battle over that, and it went on for about three or four years, and three of those years was pretty much in my head. I wasn't talking about them with anybody, not even Steve, and, uh, because I just didn't feel good enough. I just didn't feel qualified. I didn't, stuff in the world, I could do things like that, but as Michelle's very eloquently um, shared this morning, is when you want to do it in a godly way, that's a whole different thing. 
That's a different matter. And I had excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse why I wasn't going to do it. And then when I just felt so convicted that this was of God, part of me was a bit like, well, I'm just following God. And if everybody else says no, because as you know, there's quite a big process to be called into being a minister where lots of people can say and discern no at many steps along the way. If I've got it wrong, then at least we'll find out soon, won't we? But all I can do is to step out and follow. And one of the experiences that we often talk about is on the night, uh, so I'd given in my notice at work, I'd had a couple of weeks off, we'd had a holiday, and, uh, and I had, the next day was my first day at Spurgeon's College, which some of you may know is one of the Baptist training colleges in South London, Probably the best, but I'm biased, but anyway. And uh, I uh, sat in my car, I'd loaded it all up, and I was saying goodbye to Steve. And he said, well, go on then. I don't know if football was on the TV or something, and I was stopping him from getting back in the house. And, And I just couldn't turn the key. Because to me, that was that pivotal moment of it was now or then. If at the minute I turn up at college... That's it, we're on this plan, this is happening. You know, I've been through, don't know how many interviews and all the rest of it, but this was the moment of turning that car ignition and driving off was the, my kind of final act of commitment, if you like. And, uh, and it was just that moment. I, so for me, that was my stepping out of the boat moment of, okay, we are doing this. I don't know why, it all seems crazy, it doesn't make sense, but that was the moment of turning the key was that moment where I really felt this is me stepping out of the boat onto water. And, uh, and God has carried us ever, so, ever, ever since for the last 10 years. So, uh, you know, and the experiences that we've had, I would say, have all been fun. <laughs> the experiences that we have had have made our faith grow and have stretched us. And we have seen God at work in so many ways, not just in our own lives, but in your lives and been a part of journey, people's journeys that have blessed us amazingly. And we would have never have seen them had I not turned that key ignition on that Sunday night. So I, all people's stories, and I, you know, if you've got something you want to share... If you want to share where you've stepped out of the boat, then come and and talk to us. We've done some testimonies about how our faith came to us. But if you want to share a particular moment, a particular time in your life where you really had to depend on God, come and let me know and we can share it with others. Because this is what grows our faith. When we hear that God did it for other people and that it becomes possible and hopeful for every single one of us. So do come. Uh, and share that with us. So, let's get into the Bible and what Jesus has to say say about this. We're going to pick up the story where Jesus has just heard that um, uh, John the Baptist has been beheaded. Um, As you know, he uh, was a cousin of Jesus and uh, Herod, who was the son of the Herod who had wanted to kill Jesus when he was a baby and had killed all the baby boys um, uh, at one dance party on the whims of his stepdaughter, kills and beheads uh, John the Baptist. And it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So this is Jesus who's just heard his cousin has died. And the people around him have seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen him heal people. 
They've seen him do amazing things, but he wasn't able to save his cousin. Imagine what the disciples are feeling right now. Imagine what Jesus is feeling right now. And he withdraws to a boat because he needs to be with God. He needs to kind of go back to that place where he can be comforted. But then, when Jesus has landed from the boat and he saw a large crowd, so this large crowd have gathered because they've probably heard as well. And they kind of want to know what's going on. And you know when Lady um, Princess Diana died, it was like this massive outpouring of grief, wasn't it? You know, I remember myself, perhaps some grief that I'd had about other things all just sort of came to surface at that particular time. And so I think that's probably what's going on here, is actually there's this swelling of grief around people. And they've gathered there because they can see that Jesus is the one who might bring comfort to them. But whatever was going on, they're there and Jesus gets out of the boat and he's got so much compassion for how they are feeling, how concerned he is for them that he starts healing them. Ministry starts again. He's, you know, the funeral for John has not even happened and he's there ministering to them, seeing to their needs. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, well, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. So the disciples had gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, you do something. We can't cope with this. Tell the people to go away. So it's probably get overwhelming. They can't figure out how it's all going to end. They can't see their part that they need to play in it. And they want Jesus to do something. So he, they, they've come up with their plan. They think they know what to do. And, but they don't want to be the one to tell everyone to go away because people are getting sick and it's probably a good ministry time and all the rest of it. So they say, Jesus, you tell them all to go away. And Jesus says, no, no. They do not need to go away You give them something to eat. So he's given the problem right back to them. And I think what Jesus is saying there is, you can do something. You do something. You don't need me all the time to be doing it. And I think what Jesus is saying here is looking at some of the fear and inadequacies that they might have They're not feeling good enough. They feel that this is well out of their comfort zone. They're not sure what they're going to be doing. And we all have that fear, don't we? We all feel like we're not good enough. We're inadequate. And Jesus is saying, you are good enough. You can do this. These are the two things that get in the way and keep us stuck on the boat. These are the things that stop us from doing the things that Jesus is calling us into doing and he says so they did go off and do something and they come back and they said we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish bring them here to me he said and he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people They all ate and were satisfied. 
And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So over 5,000 people ended up being fed. And what we see happening here is Jesus is saying, what you can do is ask. What you can do is go and collect what was given. What you can do is distribute the things that I am going to do. And what I think that it is, is knowing that if I do what I'm supposed to do, then Jesus can do his stuff. Jesus asked the disciples what they could do, which was to use their hands to collect up the original food and then distribute it a bit afterwards. But in the meantime, Jesus did the stuff that enabled over 5,000 people to get fed. I'll do what I can do. I'll get on the plane. I'll go and serve the leper. I will go out and sing in front of hundreds of people. I will become a deacon. I will help with children's ministry. I will do welcome on the door. I will serve on AV. I will do teas and coffee. I will lead the services. I will help with home groups and so on and so on at food bank and much, much more that we do. It starts with us doing what we can do and allowing God to do what only he can do. But it starts with us to see what we can do. So I think that Jesus was stretching them to say, don't look to solve the big problem. Don't worry about how it's going to end. Just focus on what you can do and you can give me your hands. You can go and collect the food and you can collect up the food. And he stretches them some more. So after this amazing miracle, you can imagine how big their faith must be right now. That they've seen all these people eat and there was leftovers. And they're probably feeling, what a great day that was. Let's sit down and talk about the the day that we've had. He says, no, go into this boat. And they went on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, He went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat, which had the disciples in, was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So straight from this amazing experience of feeding over 5,000 people, God wants to stretch them some more and puts them on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and the wind comes, and there's a, it's raining, and it's windy. So that, that, unfortunately, is also, or I would say, is fortunately the thing. When you step out and allow God to grow you, it starts to feel uncomfortable, but then you get used to it, and you want to grow some more, and that's exactly what he's doing with the disciples here, that he's stretching them and doing some more with them. Now, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. 
So Peter, who has seen the disciples feed over 5,000 people, realizes that when God calls you, when you get that nudging, when you get that, "Mm, I should be doing something, or maybe I should be going, maybe I should be getting involved in that, when you respond to that, Peter's got it. When you give what you've got and see what Jesus does with the rest, you'll be amazed and your faith will grow. So now... Don't forget, Jesus hasn't said, Peter, walk to me. Peter has said, this is God. This is God. This is Jesus. I have got this. I want this. And he says, Lord, if it's you, just a little check there. It is the right person who I think it is. He says, tell me to come to you on the water. His faith is really high because he he knows that with God, anything is possible. And Jesus says, come, because he sees that Peter gets it. You've got faith, Peter, and that faith will carry you as you walk on the water. And Peter got down out of the boat and walked towards Jesus, walking on top of the water. What amazing faith. What amazing. And some of you I know are already five steps ahead of me and go, but Tracy, we know the next few lines. And yes, it is, isn't it? But when we saw the, he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Lord, save me. Anybody stepped out of the boat, felt uncomfortable, and, you, and you're doing it, and you're like, great, this is happening. I can do this. This is amazing. Oh, well, this is a bit rubbish. This has happened. Oh, God wasn't in it at all, was he? I don't know. Maybe I've just invented this. Maybe it's all in my head. Maybe it's this, that, or the other. This is the journey that Peter is doing, walking on that water right now. Yes, Lord, it's you. I'm doing this. It's great. It's great. Oh, it's a bit windy, isn't it? Oh, look at... Oh, uh, and his faith disappears. Yeah? Now, this isn't here to mock Peter. This isn't here to show us not, how not, of what not to do. This is here to say that every journey you have, and when you doubt, and when you feel a bit scared, and when that fear comes at you, it's perfectly normal. This is the Christian life. But by embracing that fear and doing it anyway, by stepping out, that's when God can really show up and show you that you are more than conquerors. And Jesus reached out his hands and he says, you have little faith, why do you doubt? Now again, don't feel that Jesus is, is telling Peter off here. He's just saying, in fact, you had the faith and then you left it. And not long after this incident, After Jesus has died, he then puts the great commandment, the great commission in the hands of these people. The disciples that are a little bit, oh, here and now. Later, when Jesus is resurrected and just before he ascends back into heaven, he says to them, go and make disciples around the world. I'm giving you that remit and I want you to tell other people that's what we want to do. So don't ever think that Jesus gets disappointed with us. Don't ever think Jesus goes, well, well, you you had that doubt there, didn't you? So therefore I can't work with you anymore. That is not the God we worship. That is not who he is. He is there going, well, if you'd have had a bit more faith then, maybe it might have been easier on you. That's what he's talking about. Not on him, not on the relationship. It's all about you and how your relationship with God uh, can grow. Now, we're all going to stand there at some particular point. 
Maybe you've already stood there and maybe stood there many times. Maybe right now there is something going on in your mind where God is nudging you, where you are thinking, yes, I need to be doing something. All I can encourage you to do is take that step. Take that step because you don't get to see the glory of God, the amazing things he can do in your life if you don't take that step, if you don't volunteer, if you don't speak up, if there's something burning in you that you want to talk about with somebody. Now is the time to do it because God shows up when you do the thing that you can do. He's going to break in and do amazing more when we step out of the boat. We don't always know how things are going to end. We don't always know how the story is going to end between you and particular people or between a particular situation that you're facing. But what I would say is you'll be glad that you did. I thought it was really interesting that when you said about... um, it was the May time, or the finances, about May, and that it was about nine months. What other things take about nine months? Babies, thank you, pregnancies. You know, sometimes there are things that God is giving birth to that we don't see. You know, my, my, um, our daughter is pregnant at the moment. She's expecting in early June, which is all really exciting. We don't know if it's a girl or a boy. And, you know, that's really wonderful, isn't it? But we don't know anything about this baby yet. I think we know it's got five toes and all the rest of it. No, ten toes, isn't it? And uh, all those things from the scan. So we know those things, but we don't know anything else yet. We don't know. We don't know what this child is going to grow up and be and all those things. But we're, we're enjoying the pregnancy. We're enjoying what's to come. And that's what it is with God, is that he's growing something in you, developing something in you that you don't yet know how it's going to go. And you'll be glad that you did. For those of you who have made a commitment to Jesus and seen Jesus work powerfully in your life, I'm sure you don't regret it. When Jesus comes and says, you don't need to have that shame anymore, give it to me. When Jesus comes and says that brokenness and that stuff that people did to you, you don't need to carry that anymore. Give it to me because I love you and I want you to be free. What I can say from my experiences and what I've heard from other people who've done this journey and what I hope you hear from people here today is that when you step out, when you trust God, when you allow your faith to grow, I've never heard anybody regret it. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that you do, for your might, for your power, for your glory for your goodness. And Lord, thank you that even our weakness, you can do so much powerful stuff. Even when we don't feel like we're able, you call us and we can do it. When we feel scared, when we let fear and anticipation and anxiety overwhelm us, when we give it to you, you can do amazing things. And over the last 2,000 years, we have seen the Christian movement, the Christian way, the Christian faith change society like nobody could ever have seen or foretold on that Good Friday. The world has schools and free education in many places. People have freedom and have joy. 
People have health care because of Christians. People have homes in the city because of Christians. People have freedom from debt and anxiety because of Christians. People are coping with their mental health. People are recovering from addictions because of Christians. So, Lord, come and use every single one of us. Use what we've got, what we have. Encourage us to step out of the boat and walk into, on the water into your arms that we can see our world, our community and our families transformed into your likeness. In your mighty name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.